Welcome to Insights Now, a series of conversations designed to shine a light of clarity on the complex world of investing. We've entitled our second season Asset Class. After years of very good returns, broad indices of US stocks and bonds look expensive relative to history. This reality both limits future returns and increases the risk of a market correction. Investors who want to enhance future returns or reduce risk may need to adopt a more sophisticated approach, looking at different sectors and styles within US equities and bonds, and looking at other assets to diversify their portfolios. And that's what Asset Class is all about. In each episode, we look at an area of investing and speak to an expert in this area. In recent years, in a world starved for growth and with interest rates at historically low levels, US large-cap growth stocks have significantly outperformed global equities in general. Moreover, as the pandemic took hold in 2020, investors flocked to the companies that benefited from the technological acceleration of a socially distant world and sought secular growth opportunities amid such cyclical uncertainty, further boosting large-cap growth stocks. As investors now look past the pandemic, while valuations and rising interest rates could present challenges, large-cap growth remains an exciting space given trends in biotech, artificial intelligence, blockchain, electric vehicles and green technology. Given these exciting trends, I'm so glad today to be joined by Giri Duvalopali, Lead Portfolio Manager for the Large Cap Growth Strategy here at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. So Giri, thank you very much for joining us here on Insights Now. David, thank you uh, very much for having me. Glad to be here. Great. Um, so to start off with, uh, I know that we've seen very strong uh, performance and really outperformance of large cap growth over the past year. And your fund has performed particularly well relative relative to the, this this trend. What investment strategies have you used to navigate the pandemic in 2020? Yeah, I, uh, as you mentioned, uh, large cap growth has had um, actually a good several years, um, really going back to the beginning of 2017. And I think it um, almost hit uh, an extra gear after COVID about a year ago. Um, the way we've approached it, has remained fairly constant over time. What we're looking for are companies where we believe the fundamentals uh, are greater in terms of magnitude or duration than what the market is embedding into the uh, stock. And we've been um, fortunate enough to have identified uh, a number of those types of investments, uh, and uh, the market has rewarded um, the higher growth uh, stocks that that we've um, uh, identified and owned over the last several years. But of course, the environment is changing here. Uh, we've got massive fiscal stimulus. Uh, we've got vaccines being rolled rolling out around the world here, and then at some stage, growth is going to normalize after we get sort of a post pandemic surge. Um, so, what? How are you sort of adjusting your strategy to think about the world after? this pandemic ceases to be the, the dominant story? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a very good question. Um, but I'll go back to sort of the central organizing principle we have, which is looking for that disconnect between fundamentals and expectations. And one of the things that's happened because we've had uh, good returns in the fund and in the benchmark is that we've had a bit higher turnover the last couple of years is uh, because a number of the holdings that we've had have done so well that that disconnect no longer exists from our perspective. But we believe that there's always a cohort of companies where that disconnect does exist. And so uh, that turnover is reflective of the fact that 
For example, software as a service has done exceptionally well uh, stocks within that subsector. Uh, and we used to own a lot of those stocks and our weighting has, has come down. And we've just transitioned to other areas where we think um, that dynamic of better fundamentals relative to market expectations exists. Consumer, some industrials, some materials, healthcare, um, really uh, some technology still. Um, so it's much more company specific and dependent, but um, our uh, framework for approaching these has not changed. So, so you really do have to be pretty dynamic in your approach. I mean, the, the faster markets move, the more likely it is that things that were undervalued and misvalued by the market are no longer so. And so you have to adjust the portfolio. Yeah, course, no, that, you know, yeah exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, because uh, for us, it's easy to say, here are the fastest growing companies. I think most people can identify where those are. Uh, but the element of uh, relating that to embedded market expectations and where we see a disconnect. Um, so the faster something rises, unless there's a dramatic change in the fundamentals, which sometimes happens, um, because then that change in fundamentals can be even greater than the change in price. Um, but uh, more often than not, if um, our fundamental view has not changed dramatically or the price has gone up even more than the fundamentals have changed, that, that gap between fundamentals and expectations will necessarily narrow, ca causing more turnover in the portfolio. Okay, so, so the next challenge you face, and, and maybe we've been facing it over the last few months here, uh, is rising interest rates. And, uh, you know, there is a perception out there that uh, large cap growth stocks are very long duration assets and that when interest rates rise sharply, large cap growth is just going to get hurt. Do you, do you think that is a justified view or is it a little bit more nuanced than that? Yeah, I think there's, there's some truth and maybe some uh, misperception perception about that, both. Um, and I think the truth is that all else being equal, um, if you simply raise the discount rate and there's a security that has most of its value in the out years or in the terminal value, then those securities become uh, less attractive if rates go up, all else being equal. Um, however, I think if rates are driven by faster economic growth, then you could potentially change the cash flow stream that, that um, a company realizes over time. Also, what we're seeing with um, the globalization that has been um, enabled by the Internet, that there are companies that are reaching mass scale much more rapidly than they had in the past. Um, and so if we just look at the last 20 years or so and think about uh, the evolution of Google, and then Facebook, and then maybe TikTok as uh, three uh, iconic companies over the last 20 years. Um, the, the time to reach mega scale for each of those has become shorter and shorter, and therefore the ability to generate cash flows has also shortened. So I think it, it, it is, um, there's some truth and some misperception, and it also then becomes a question of, an individual security uh, may may be affected uh, negatively or not at all uh, with rising rates. Yeah, we're actually seeing uh, a similar thing when we look at the overall market. I mean, one of the charts we have in our guide to the markets shows that when interest rates rise from very low levels, it's actually associated with positive stock market uh, movements. Uh, but when you get over about a you know a range of somewhere to three and a half to four and a half percent on ten-year Treasury, that's when you may get into trouble because rates are rising 
really because the Federal Reserve is scared of inflation. So we, we see that overall in the market. And then I think that's a really interesting point about, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily very far flung cash flows. The truth is, these companies are growing very fast, very soon. And so those cash flows may not be years and years away, they may actually be coming coming quite soon. That, um, I mean, that's what's so exciting about some of the companies that, that, that you follow. Um, and of course, a lot of what you, uh, you know, it's not just about technology, but technology is an important part of this. So what areas of technology are you most excited about in terms of driving growth? And then how do you think that COVID-19 is going to impact these technological changes? Within tech, where we've gravitated to a greater degree um, is in digital advertising. And uh, I think what one of the things that uh, there, there are two main reasons for that. One is that um, uh, post-COVID, I think companies have realized that um, having digital or mindshare in the digital world is critically important. And that comes about through establishing uh, the brands and presence online and through um, through various mediums such as uh, Snapchat, Facebook, Google, um, and all of those have been increasing in our portfolio uh, over the last year. Um, and so, and the other element of um, the the rationale for owning these particular companies is these have not been companies that have done exceptionally well relative to the market over the last several years. So uh, that disconnect between expectations and fundamentals. We think there's a upward inflection in fundamentals as companies realize the value of a digital presence. At the same time, the expectations are not that high because Google and Facebook, for example, have faced regulatory pressures, um, et cetera, over the last few years, and they have not been the, the truly market-beating company. So there's more of a, a, a compressed spring, which we think could be released going forward. And another thing I know that you believe in is not just investing in technology companies, but investing in companies which benefit from changes in technology. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? One of the themes that we've um, focused on is that technology has become pervasive. And really, most companies are somewhat closet tech companies going forward. Um, in fact, um, Joe Wilson, who I work with um, closely, wrote a paper recently about uh, the pervasiveness of technology and uh, uh, how it's impacting more and more industries. And one of the ways uh, we think um, uh, we can identify the winners is those companies that can leverage, for example, artificial intelligence data analysis um, uh, to generate better business decision making, which then generates um, more market share, which allows them to gather more data to uh, run more analysis, and it becomes a virtuous cycle. So if we think of over the last few years, uh, Google in search, Facebook in social, uh, Netflix and media, one of the key elements to the success, the breakaway success these companies have had is capturing data, analyzing it uh, to yield a better outcome for their customers, which then enables them to win more customers. And then it becomes self uh, accruing to uh, become the dominant search company or the dominant social media or dominant media company. And we think that type of model is going to become uh, more and more widespread. So we could see it in parts of healthcare, uh, industrials, uh, consumer, etc. So uh, that's uh, absolutely 
key um, element of what we look for in companies. And one of the things I know that's sort of related to this is in a post-COVID world, it's, it's hard to believe this right now, but we're probably going to head into a labor shortage. I mean, we've got a very fast growth. Uh, we've got higher unemployment benefits. So that sort of pushes up the, the sort of reservation wage that you have to come up with in order to hire somebody. As labor becomes more expensive, do you see that as a, a stimulus to growth in some, some areas like uh, automation, uh, artificial intelligence and robotics? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as labor becomes more scarce, um, birth rates uh, across the world have fallen. Um, and if we're talking about potentially raising the unemployment, uh, in addition to the, the temporary benefits that, that you mentioned, well, there's also a move to raise uh, the, the a minimum wage um, going forward. And so all of those could uh, lead businesses to think about um, how to enhance the productivity of existing employees and make sure that all employees um, that are um, uh, um, uh, uh, part of the business uh, are at least generating the $15, the minimum wage, if that's what we go to or whatever it is. Um, And the ways of doing that historically have always been through um, increased utilization of technology. And going forward specifically now, I think, more in terms of automation and robotics is absolutely going to happen. And a number of companies in our portfolios have already uh, embraced a lot of these uh, trends uh, in the past several years. And since, uh, for the moment, our, our thinking is still dominated by the pandemic, I mean, as we've seen literally a global war on COVID-19, um, it has spurred and fueled a lot of innovation in the healthcare industry, which, of course, was already seeing a lot of innovation. So what uh, can you speak a little bit about some of the innovation that you do see in the biotech industry as, as, as part of our overall growth themes? Yeah, I think that uh, if we look at um, past emergencies uh, where there was a massive push to get something out, there have been, uh, there's been a, um, a benefit of innovation that's lasted quite, quite a long time if we look through history. And then, so in, in this particular case, um, I think we have to be quite amazed at the, the rapid development and deployment of vaccines. And that may lead to both just in terms of mRNA as a modality for uh, creating drugs. Um, there could be a, a, a number of follow-ons. And we, we, we've actually known Moderna. We were following them as a private company. Um, Holly Fleiss, who I work with closely, um, knew the company really well. We went up to Boston a number of times before they went public. And so we've had a long affiliation with them. But they and others who uh, can leverage the mRNA technology to potentially have many more drugs that come through that modality, but also maybe the whole idea of how long it takes to approve drugs there may be ways to uh, shorten that uh, duration of um, from submit, submittal to the FDA to approval. And so, um, but even more generally, I think uh, healthcare is super interesting over the next 10 to 20 years because of advances in um, not just mRNA, but uh, genetic sequencing, et cetera. So this is an area that we're uh, spending a, a lot of time thinking about potential uh, huge companies coming out of um, that uh, arena. Um, okay, so let me let me turn to something a lot less exciting, uh, at least for investors, which is 
there is a possibility of an increase in the corporate tax rate. Um, you know, the president has proposed 28%. There's some other talk that maybe it's 25%. And then Treasury Secretary Yellen has talked about a global minimum corporate tax. Do you think that's going to have a, a significant impact on the companies in your universe? Yeah, I, I suspect the answer is, is no. And uh, that's just based on my history of tax changes over time. And particularly for us, the way we think about investing is what we're really seeking are those companies that can be the, the big outlier winners. And that those are not generally going to be driven by uh, nuances in tax policy. And so our focus is really identifying companies that can meaningfully diverge from market expectations. And usually the market is pretty quick at understanding and um, uh, incorporating tax changes into the prospects of companies. So that's, um, there, there may be some modest effects. We don't suspect that that's going to generate the next uh, multi-bagger for us. I know uh, your shareholders would hope that that turns out to be the case. I guess the last question I'd ask you is, I mean, I think, I think you've, you get to work in an extraordinarily exciting space, but also a changing space. I mean, there are, you know, in, in different periods of time, there are different um, investment ideas which work well in, in the growth space. Um, and I'm wondering, how, how do you adjust your portfolio as certain trends sort of become less um, positive and other trends become more positive? How can you be flexible enough to take advantage of what really will be very strong in the immediate future? Yeah, I, I think that um, that is one of the most uh, critical elements of being successful or trying to be successful in growth investing is um, to understand when uh, an idea is ready for uh, prime time and when maybe uh, a, an idea or a stock has um, about to start lagging after a period of leading. Um, and so we try and look at um, a variety of things. Uh, the size of the addressable market, how fast it's growing, what share a company is taking, how sustainable the competitive advantages of those companies are. Um, those are three critical elements. But even more than that, we also incorporate the price momentum of, of a company. The market has a lot of wisdom, we believe, except at extremes. And so uh, what we try and do is be aligned with the wisdom of the market. And what I mean by that is if we love a, a, an idea, but the market is using all good news to reduce uh, to sell that, that stock down, we have to really question what, if, whether the expectations are already too high. And so that, you know, it's, in a way, the conversation is coming a little bit full circle back to that idea of fundamentals and expectations. Um, it is at the heart of what we do. Expectations are just as important as fundamentals. And so uh, there are a variety of ways we try and gauge expectations. Valuation is one. The duration of our performance, the longer something is outperformed, the less likely it is that uh, it's yet to be discovered. Uh, the greater the market cap of a company makes us also a little bit nervous. So there are a variety of quantitative things and qualitative things we look at. We're always trying to get better uh, because we know we're not perfect at that. Um, and it's, uh, it's a very humbling business. Um, yet it's also, as you said, a super exciting business that uh, we're all feeling very fortunate to be a part of. Yeah, I think we're both very lucky to work in a part of the business where Things are always challenging, but always interesting. Um, so listen, thank you so much, Gary, for joining us on Insights Now. Thank you so much, David. Please tune into our next episode, where I'll be joined by Michael Schoenhardt. 
Lead Portfolio Manager in the Multi-Asset Solutions team here at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass.